0: Today's episode is brought to you by Search Press. For 50 years, Search Press has delighted crafters with books on knitting, crochet, sewing, quilting, fiber crafts, painting, and drawing. If you want to try a new craft or improve your skills, Search Press has detailed instruction books for you. If you would like to learn more about selling Search Press books in your store or on your website, check out their website at searchpressusa.com. Thank you so much, Search Press. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 177 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we are talking about building a career as a textile artist and creativity coach with my guest, Clara Narti. Clara's textile artwork has been widely exhibited in solo and group shows in museums across the United States. Her work is held in both private and corporate collections. Clara is a self-taught artist who learned by stitching together a curriculum of workshops, art lessons, and several hours of studio practice. She's an artist, an educator, and the creator of the Clara Narty blog, a top 20 fiber art blog. She holds a bachelor's degree in computer science, statistics, and a master's degree in business administration. Clara is known for her heart-centered teaching and her ability to unlock people's undiscovered creative potential, which leaves her clients with confidence. Clara believes in equipping creative people with skills which go beyond techniques, She's the creator of training programs like Clarity to Create, which teaches you to get into the right mindset for creative excellence, and Innovate to Create, which teaches you to build systems so that you can enjoy creative and financial freedom. Clara Nardi, welcome. Thank you, Abby. I'm glad to be here. And I'm so excited to talk with you. And um, I know that you were born and raised in Ghana. Is that right? That's correct. So um, tell us a little bit about your childhood there and what that, um, what that was like.
1: Well, um, I was born and raised in Ghana. I grew up with three, two sisters. We had three girls. So um, I grew up with three, uh, two girls in the house, and my dad was the only um, male <laughs> in the family. And um growing up in that culture, um men or boys were valued more than um girls. And so um naturally my dad um wanted to have a boy first. And um he didn't get a boy first, he got me. <laughs> He got me, but um, I understand that he was so excited when I was born that he forgot that <laughs> he wanted a boy, But and so he named me. My middle name actually means that um, she's good, just the way she is, and um, he was just besides himself, but he raised, and he didn't get a boy initially. He remarried and got a boy later. But uh, in his first marriage, he didn't get a a boy. So we're three girls, and he raised us to be um, three strong women. And he always told us that you can do whatever a boy can do. So that's
0: how I was raised. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Um, And were, I mean, were your family creative growing up? Did you do artwork as a child? Um. I wouldn't say that my family
1: was necessarily creative. My dad um is an engineer, he's a computer engineer and so he's technical. Um, hands-on kind of person. And my mom um sewed. And she worked as a uh, she worked in public um in a public organization but when she had us she started having babies she stopped working outside the house and um, stayed with us at home and she sewed but um, when I was old enough to remember she wasn't sewing I remember her sewing when I was maybe three four years old but when I was old enough to remember she wasn't sewing, the only thing I remember about her sewing was that she made pretty dresses for us for school, and um the other thing I remember about her sewing is that um one day she was sewing, and she had her fabrics on the sewing table, and her scissors was underneath the fabric and those days they used these very heavy um metal scissors. I remember it exactly, black, um, with black handles and silver um, edges. And it was under the fabrics, and she was looking for it, couldn't find it. And she pulled um, some fabrics, and the scissors fell right onto her foot. And she ended up in the hospital. It was a big to-do. And that's my memory of my mom um, sewing. But she wasn't really silly when I was growing up. So um, yeah,
0: that's funny. Wow. Okay. It's just so funny that the memories that stick in our heads, when yeah. we're, you know, from when we're little. Um, okay. And so what brought you to the United States? Did you come here for school? Or did you come here after school?
1: I, well, it was two things. I came here for family. My uh, husband's um, father was here and he was ill and aging at the time, so it was um, a family reason that uh, we came here. And then I went to school at the same time to do my masters. So those were the two two reasons that brought us here. Okay. The initial reason was to come care for um, his aging dad.
0: Okay, I see. All right. And you um studied computers um mm-hmm. and um and business. Mm-hmm. And what kind of job did you get after school?
1: Well, after school, I worked in um consulting. I did management consulting, um information technology. So, what I did was working with um systems mostly. I would go into organizations and um assess the systems that they had and see where the gaps were. And um, we would my organization would um install, recommend and install systems for them. And I used to train um people, the employees, how to use the new systems or even the old systems that they had and they were not using well. So I did more of consulting, going in and trying to see what needed to be put in or what they already had. I did audits, information system audits, to see what they uh, needed to beef up to meet the goals that the organization had. So that was was what I did. (laughs)
0: Okay. And um, I'm wondering if thinking back now to that experience, if there are things that you – learned from that time period, obviously, it's quite different from what you're doing now, but that you carried forward into what you're doing now, as far as maybe teaching or other aspects that you think about, and you're like, Oh, I still do that, or I learn from that time.
1: It's interesting that you asked that question, because I, for a long while, I didn't see any connection between what I'm doing right now. And what I did then, but just recently, maybe even less than a month ago, I just started seeing the connection between um, teaching, um, between systems, working with systems, and now being able to develop my own um, creative practice, the way I grow in my skills, my creative skills, the way I focus on particular things that I want to improve and not just um, repeat the the same um, practice. in go into your studio and just keep doing the same thing over and over again. I'm more intentional about what is the process? Where is the bottleneck? What am I um, repeating? What mistake am I repeating every time I create this thing? And then focusing on just that um that's a bottleneck or that's problem and then working solely to (laughs) improve just that little thing in the process. So now I see where um, the connection is. And also I see um, that I am more process focused in a way that it's not, (laughs) it's not really an artistic kind of way of um, thinking because um, there's this thought that artists are uh, not used to sticking to a structure. They, they like to do things whenever they feel like doing it. But I don't believe that's true. I believe that um, artists have the ability to um, stick to a structure. We all stick to a structure. You wake up in the morning, have breakfast. You, you have lunch when you're supposed to have lunch. So we are used to structure already, but I think that we buy into that myth because it's the um, dominant um, thought that if you're a creative person, you you do things whenever you feel like doing it. If you don't feel like creating, you don't create. It. When you feel like it, you do it. And I don't believe that's true. And if you look at the lives of um, successful creatives, you see that they have routines, they have rituals. They have. They wake up in the morning. They are going to have a cup of coffee every morning. You know so. I see that um, systems approach um, working in my creative life. And I think that if you have that balance, it's easier for you to develop your skills faster than if you're just um, doing it whenever you feel like doing it.
0: And how were you first exposed to textile art? Um, it doesn't sound, I mean, your mother sewed, but she sewed dresses Mm -hmm. and more practical, you know, garments Mm -hmm. and things like that. It sounds like for your family, um, which is quite different from the things that you're making now. And so I'm wondering, did you go to an exhibit or did a friend show you, or did you come across a book or how did this come about that you got exposed to textile art and thought that's what I want to make?
1: That's a funny story. Um, I used to work with, um, this big consultant firm at the time. It was called one of the big six. And that was uh, my dream. I worked with another consulting firm that was one of the big six. And then after graduation from um, business school, I got a job with a second big six organization and I was excited about that. But um, the organization got into trouble because of, that Enron um, problem. And so that organization went bust and I lost my job. So when I lost my job, I was home, I didn't know what to do and I felt like this life that I had built for myself, this career that I had worked at all my life was just poof, was just gone. And I was, uh, it was a a really tough time for me. I was uh, in a, a very, dark place. So, um, backing up <laughs> when I was in college, because I'd always loved to do things. I tell people that my superpower is um, organization or making things pretty. I like to make things pretty. And I've always liked to make things pretty. And I think that, um, that skill of making things pretty is actually a super skill of being organized. All right. So, um, I think that it comes down from trying to put things in order. Okay, so when I was in um, college in Ghana, a friend of mine and I got together and we made um, jewelry. We made custom jewelry pieces, which were really, even if I say so myself, which were really interesting and different from the traditional jewelry at the time. And we started a business and we... Um,
0: what were, what were they made out of? What, what kind of they materials? They were made
1: out of um, glass beads and um, some other metals and stuff. And we got the equipment. We just learned it by ourselves. And we had this, we, we started a business. We had a label and all of that. But after college, everybody wanted to pursue a career and we just let it go. All right, because we had grown up with this idea that you cannot survive financially on a creative endeavor. So when uh, we're done with college, we got our jobs, everybody wanted to pursue a stable career. So we just let it go, all right? So I had that um, doing things with my hands in me already. So when I lost that job and I was home for um, a long while, I started thinking that I wanted to do something with my hands. I wanted to um, do something for myself. So I got myself a heat press. (laughs) I got myself a heat press and I started embellishing um, T-shirts. I started making banners and all kinds of stuff. And then a family friend who had heard that I was doing this kind of um, work um, came to me and said, um, could you make me a hundred pieces of handkerchiefs embellished with some wording that he wanted to um, give out as um, party favors at an event that he was going to have. And at that point, I knew that the heat press was not the best um, technique to use for that and I knew that what he was asking for was monogramming and that um, but then I didn't have a sewing machine I've never owned a sewing machine <laughs> I never owned a sewing machine so what I did was I went online researched it how much does it cost to um do monogramming and I I gave him an invoice. And I told him that that's how much it's going to cost to do a hundred pieces of uh, handkerchiefs for you. And he was game. He paid me upfront. My mom gave me a gift. I added it to it. And I got myself my first sewing machine. I did the job. Delivered it. He was extremely happy with it. But then after that, I had a sewing machine that I didn't know what to do with. So that's how... I started looking into what can I do with a sewing machine apart from making clothes and mending stuff because I didn't want to do that. And so I I was on the internet, I was on YouTube, I was on Pinterest, and that's how I discovered textile art. Oh
0: wow, that's so fascinating. So, um when you were looking around at possible projects, um Was there a particular website or artist whose work inspired you? I'm wondering what you found first or whose work you found that piqued your interest to start. I mean, what you ended up really making were quilts, you know, in a way and they're 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 quilts, basically. Um, And so and so whose work sort of made you think quilts?
1: Um, when I looked the the works that really attracted me were, um, the bright and colorful ones. And I didn't know what a quilt was because I grew up in a warm, tropic country. So, um, I didn't really have a sense of So I didn't see them as quilts. I saw them as art. I saw them as beautiful pieces of artwork that I could do with my sewing machine. And it's funny, when I was home and I had access to a sewing machine, the one thing I remember doing was actually a quilt, now that I know what a quilt is. (laughs) But it was a patchwork of um, leftover fabrics that I had put together to make a bed spirit or a bed covering. All right. But it didn't have that um, what you call a real quilt now. So when I saw them, I didn't see them as quilts because I didn't have a quilting background to identify that this is a um, a form of doing craft or anything. I just saw them as beautiful colors, an explosion of colors put together, and I saw them as art. And I think that is um, one of the reasons why my work is so colorful, because I see it as um, a combination of colors. I don't see it as a bed, something you use for a bed, right? And uh, I remember that I love Carol Fowler Gentry's work, and, um, the way it was full of color, the way she um puts the um variation of color, the way the colors move from one um gradation to the other, I really loved, and it. it looked like art to me and I remember that um years after I had started in this line of work, I actually sent her an email to say thank you, and that um I saw your work and your work inspired me. And she had this piece that had um, black birds in it. I remember that piece very well. And when I was thinking about getting into textile art, I said to myself that if I can't do work that is as beautiful as her work, I don't want to do it because I don't want to do substandard. I wanted to do something that is um, that's really excellent. And I remember that when I had that thought in the night, the following morning, I woke up and as I went out of the house, I saw this flock of blackbirds in the sky. And I was like, I gotta do this. This is me. This is what I have to do. I have to do textile art. So that's That's how, and I sent her an email and I said, thank you. And I told her the story that I'm telling you, right? And this is the first time I've said it publicly. I sent her an email and and told her that story. That's
0: beautiful. Yeah, it was a sign. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I want to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor, Search Press USA. While many of us are feeling stuck at home and isolated during this time, the community of crafters has grown and developed worldwide. Search press books are designed to guide the beginner with detailed step-by-step instructions that can get you started easily, whether you're in a class or you're on your own. Their hottest new books are these transfer collections. With transfers, you can pick your fabric or material and then You transfer the designs with a hot iron. The reusable transfer books give you a few ideas to start and then you bring the creative force. They are super cool. These books are stunning collected works available as transfers from outstanding artists such as Trish Burr and Karina Envoldston harris as well as historical collections from the prestigious Embroiderers Guild and the Kew Botanical Gardens. In the changing world of craft businesses, Search Press is here to support you with virtual learning and association with their outstanding books. Many of their authors and artists are doing web-based teaching and training, and this is making the art and craft world seem smaller and more connected. From painting to crochet, their authors have developed virtual classrooms that bring the community right to you. In addition to holding events on social media and YouTube, their authors can offer demos and short sessions on a custom basis. So if you would like more information on SearchPress authors or would like to arrange a craft demo for your store, please contact SearchPress North America through their website, searchpressusa.com. And... You can also visit them at the virtual Sheep and Wool Festival that's coming up in October. Thank you so much, Search Press. And now back to my conversation with Clara. So, um, and I know you joined SACWA, the Studio Art Quilt Associates, and um, I loved you had a post on your blog about feedback and about understanding, it might, it might've been a, a a YouTube video. I can't remember now, but it was about, yeah, it was a post. Okay. And it's about, um, accepting feedback and being able to take it in and, um, understand it and use it. And, and I know, I mean, from experience, it's hard sometimes to hear feedback, right? Especially when, you know, we get precious sometimes about our own work, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and sometimes somebody will say to us, oh, well, this part here needs to be changed. And that's the part you like the best. And sometimes, you know, or something like that. And, um, and you were talking about how you, um, you were able to accentuate the areas of strength, and then the the areas where you needed work, you were able to really focus on and work on. And maybe that goes back to what you were saying earlier about your job experience and focusing on the bottlenecks and the processes. Um, it sounds like it might go back to that ability. But, um, but talk a little bit about I guess, maybe joining SAKWA and the feedback process that you were able to get from that organization?
1: Yes, I think that um, as creatives, we need a network of like-minded people. I always say that business people have business networks. Um, engineers have engineering networks. Everyone needs a network of like-minded people Who can understand you and understand the way that you think and the way that you work. And so I find that um, joining a professional organization is necessary for growth. If you want to grow, if you really want to grow, you should uh, affiliate yourself with a professional organization. So I joined SACWA. Um, maybe the first year <laughs> that I started creating because I knew that I needed that support. I joined SACWA and then I joined my, um, my state's uh, association of women artists. So those were the two um, professional organizations that I joined. And with SACWA, what I uh, did was initially I wasn't bold enough to share my work, But um, I watched and I looked at other people sharing their work. And when I was comfortable to share my work, what I wanted to do was improve and to grow. So I share my work with the um, intention of learning what I can do better. Because I learned, like I said, I'm self-taught. So I'm trying to um, teach myself where where, um, I need to improve. And so when I hear feedback, I try to um, listen for consistency in the feedback. Because sometimes people say things because they're trying to be nice to you. And you have to be able to differentiate between um, someone saying something just because they want to be nice and someone saying something that is really true about your work. And I think that to do that is um, to look for consistency in the things that people say. So I look for consistency in the things that people say about my work. And um, the strengths, I celebrate the strengths. But, and I try to um, do more of those things that um, people see as a strength in my work. And then the things that people... Um, Say are ah, not that great. Sometimes they won't say it in a, a strong way. So you have to be uh, you have to be willing, or you have to be looking, searching to hear the negative feedback. Because sometimes it doesn't. People don't want to hurt your feelings, so they wouldn't really say it outright. But they'll couch it in a nice way. And you have to be able to distill that information and realize that well. What she's actually trying to tell you is that <laughs> that stitching line is not that great. All right. So what I do is that I have this—I call it amp and uh, imp system—where I amplify my strengths and then I improve on my weaknesses. And I think um, you can use feedback in a very powerful way to grow. Yeah.
0: Because
1: when you start, you have this vision in your mind. Of where you want to get to, but uh, between that vision of where you want to get to and the uh, your competency, there is a gap. And so, for you to be competent enough to get to that vision, needs to be there needs to be growth. And for you to grow, you have to be uh, willing to accept um, things that are not always nice to hear. <laughs>
0: And I feel like your work really took off maybe when you started creating portraits. Um, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and I just think your portraits are incredible. And um, I wondered if you could first explain a little bit about the process, because it looks to me like you're drawing them digitally, maybe on a tablet or um, something like that. Um, and is it are you using Procreate? Are you using a different program? Um, so sort of talk about that first. And then are they printed on fabric? And and how are you getting that piece done? If you don't mind explaining how that's done. And then the strength, which is what you were talking about, amplifying your strength is really in the stitching um, and using that surface pattern of stitching on top to create design, um, so anyway, if you can talk a little bit about your process, I think it's so fascinating.
1: Yeah, so um, I started um, by I always felt like doing portraits was the ultimate goal for me, but i I didn't have the skill to do portraits, and so i I usually challenge myself to do things. So I'll have like a a, a three-month challenge to do something or um, a 52-week challenge to do something. And I started by keeping a sketchbook so that I had the small sketchbook with me. And I always tell my uh, blog readers that I wherever I go and I have a few minutes, I pull the sketchbook out. And I sit and I start drawing. I go to my kids' um, games and I'm drawing. I'm waiting in their car to pick somebody up. I'm drawing. I, whatever time I get, because it's hard to actually carve out time and say that this is my drawing time. So I use whatever time I get. But what I realized was that after a while, I wanted to draw bigger. And carrying this big notepad with me everywhere was not possible. So it means I wasn't doing a lot of sketching, as much sketching as um, I needed to do to be able to grow my skills. And I've had an iPad for a very long time, but I never really used my iPad for creating artwork. I would use it to do other stuff. All right. And then um, not too long ago, maybe somewhere last year, I bought a new iPad because my my iPad was the one of the um, original <laughs> ones. So I bought a newer iPad, and um, I wasn't thinking of it still. I still didn't think of it as uh, using it to create artwork. I thought I'll maybe I would sketch sometimes in it, but even that I wasn't doing until. My daughter got me an Apple Pencil. And what happened was that I had gone, like I said, I sketch wherever I get a chance to sketch. So I had gone to the Apple store with my son to fix his his computer, his laptop, and I was sketching in a, a book. And these Apple reps came around watching me sketch, and they were all like very excited about it. And then one of these guys said to me, you should actually get an Apple Pencil. So he went with me while we were waiting for my uh, son to be attended to. He went to me and did a whole demo for me on how to use an Apple Pencil to draw. And I sketched there in the store, right? But I was thinking, oh, he's a sales guy. He just wants me to buy an Apple Pencil, you know. So I didn't really think about it. But my daughter got me an Apple Pencil later on. And when she did, it just opened a whole new world to me. Now, I didn't have to carry um, a large uh, sketchbook with me wherever I went. And I, f- I found out that I was sketching more. I was doing more practice with my, um, with my iPad. And so I started becoming trying portraits. I started becoming good. I spent a lot of time learning how to sketch the eye. And I spent a lot of time learning how to sketch the other facial features. But I didn't feel like I was good enough to put the eye, the nose, the lips together to create um, a good-looking face. But one day I was sketching and somebody saw it on the iPad and the, the guy was like, if you put that on canvas, I'll buy it. And so that's when the idea came to me that, what you're doing is good on another substrate and I I didn't think about it you know I hadn't made that connection between I was just playing on my iPad I hadn't made that connection between what I was doing on the iPad as a finished piece of artwork and he made that connection for me so what I do right now is I, I sketch my drawings on my iPad using Procreate. And then, um, I create the patterns in a different, um, app I use. Um, I go into Illustrator, Adobe Illustrator to make patterns for the codes. So it's like a two step process. I draw the, um, the person, the skin tones. And then I go into Illustrator to create patterns for their clothing and then come and put the clothing back on them. And then I send it out um, to be commercially printed on fabric and wait for it to come back to me. And when it comes back to me, that's when I add texture to it using my sewing machine. And when I'm drawing, I usually don't um, try to think ahead of what... um stitching I'm going to do on the fabric so that is like a second process a whole different process when I get the um, the printed fabric back now I have to think about how am I going to bring this alive how am I going to add details to it how sometimes I have to add um, fabric collage to it like I have to change certain things that I did in the drawing that I I don't like anymore, or I think I can improve. So that is a, a separate um, process. So I'm creating the art, which can be printed onto anything really. It could be printed onto paper. It could be printed onto. Uh, it can be printed onto anything and sold as a finished piece of artwork, right? But um, I take it a step further and add texture to it by um, stitching it.
0: And I'd love if you could talk about two pieces in particular. One is a series, um, and this is a series that focuses on black hair. And Mm -hmm. I think it's called Black Crowns. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. And, um, the stitching is just incredible. And, um, you tell this story of, um, of always straightening your hair. And Mm -hmm. then I think you were, you were visiting, um, schools with your son and met this woman. And I'll let you tell the story of, of what that encounter meant to you. And then, um, and then this series of quilts that you created, um, sort of inspired by that because it's really, really beautiful. Thank you.
1: So, um, yes, like you said, I was doing um, school visits with my daughter. I'm
0: sorry, it was with your daughter.
1: Yeah, with my daughter. And um, we were in the waiting room waiting for her. She was waiting her turn to do her interview. And there was this other lady with her child in the waiting room. And she had this beautiful... Beautiful natural hairstyle that I I wish that I could wear, but I didn't have the courage to um, to wear my hair natural because I I had always straightened my hair. I had always had a, a straight perm, and I knew how to care for my hair that way. But I didn't know, and I didn't think that I had the skills to care for my natural hair. And I was, although I wanted to, I was concerned that I would not be able to. So when I saw this woman, she had a simple, just simple, she had her hair in the bun. That was it. It wasn't like any fancy um, hairstyle. She just had it in a bun on top of her head like that. But she looked pretty just the way it was. So... I'm not a person that easily goes up to people to talk to them. But I I went up to her and I said, I love your hair. I love the way you're wearing your hair. I wish I were confident enough to, you know, just cut off my uh, straight perm and grow my hair back natural and where it's natural. And she was so nice to me. And she said, you can do it. You can do it. And she just walked me through the process of growing my hair and caring for my hair and what kind of um, moisturizers I should use and how to, she gave me her, her phone number. She went home, looked at her the products she uses. She took pictures and sent me a text with the pictures in it. She was so nice to me. I can't remember her name. I have her in my contact. If I could remember her name, I I would be able to pull it up. But I can't remember her name. And I wish I could just let her know the series of works that have um, evolved from that um, chance encounter.
0: So yeah, and that is your signature hairstyle. Now you wear your hair that way and it is very beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so, um, to talk a little bit about the, the quilts that it did inspire, um, and, and what they're like. Yeah. So they
1: are, my work is usually very colorful because I grew up with a lot of color around me. So, um, these series of works are all very, very colorful, but, um, What the inspiration behind them is wanting to understand how my ancestors who were brought in here from Africa and came in to the United States, what their journey was and how they um, learned to groom their hair in a, a foreign country where they didn't have the um, the skills, the the things that they were used to using, the combs, the creams, the moisturizers. I feel like the same way that they must have felt that not knowing how to care for your hair, and how was that feeling? How did they grow? How did they evolve? How 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 has the um the hairstyles that they knew before they came here how has that um, evolved into the current styles that their descendants now wear and what is the story the cultural significance of hair and the um black society. So that's what that series of work is about. And that's how I started this series and it's gone in so many different directions.
0: (laughs) And we'll post the link so people can take a look because they're really beautiful. And then the other one that I was hoping you might talk a little bit about is an incredible quilt um, that you created called Charlena Lyles. um, Mm -hmm. And I think this one began from a block that you were assigned mm-hmm. um, as part of a, a collaboration with the Social Justice Sewing Academy. Um, and it grew into this piece that is now going to be or is part of a show um, at the Textile Center in Minnesota. Um, and it is just incredible and incredibly moving. Um, so I wondered if you would talk about that one as well.
1: Yeah. So, um, like you said, that started as just contributing a block. Um, I think the block was a 12 by 12, a small block of work. And the story is about this young woman who, um, has mental issues or had mental issues. And she, um, she had called the police to report a burglary that she thought had occurred in her apartment. And um, when the police came, somehow during that interaction, um, they said she pulled out a knife or a pair of scissors, something. She had something on her and they shot her. They shot her seven times. She had little kids in the apartment and she was killed right there in the apartment. And when I read that story, when, when I signed up for the cold block, all they gave me was the name and um, I think the city and her age. That was it. And I had to go research and find out what the story was. And as I, I kept researching and reading and watching the videos, it just, even till today, talking about it gives me chills. It just broke my heart. <sighs>
0: as a mother... Um... I, I can't I just I'm yeah, a human being, I, yeah. Yeah. Those kids, those yeah, kids, I, I just know.
1: think about those kids. Yeah. They can't shut ring in their mind for years for the rest of their lives. No. I I Yeah. Yes, that was an it's still a difficult subject for me to talk about. And the the fact that she had mental issues and these kids, the trauma that these kids experience because of the death of their mother, and how that is going to affect the rest of their lives. Eh? it's just beyond my, um, it's just beyond my mind. I can't, yeah, I can't, I can't put it together. So I did a vlog for Social Justice Soin Academy, but after spending so much time with Charlene, I just couldn't let her go. I needed to create a. A full portrait of her So I did create A full portrait Of um, Charlene And when I did It just so happens that I saw this call for Entry for this Other show, it just happened around the same Time and I had it When I saw it, I hadn't even received the um, Fabric back from printing And I didn't think that I had enough time to Get it back and finish it And and put it in. But I knew that it was the right show for this piece of work. And yeah. I had to put it into that show. So I stayed up late nights. Um, sometimes I work like 11 hours. so uh, It's crazy. Wow. But I did I did finish that piece. I got it into the show. And I'm happy to.
0: It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, it was truly a work of, of your inspiration and dedication, clearly. Because it is really a beautiful beautiful. I mean, it, it's a beautiful piece and I, I would you. encourage everybody to see it and, uh, a tribute to her life. Um, mm. so it, it's, it's just really, really beautiful. Um, and, and I, um, I also want to talk a little bit about your, um, creative coaching. So you, y- Beyond all of this artwork that we've just talked about for so mm-hmm. long, you have another side of your business. And mm-hmm. it seems as though maybe the two grew up together. Um, like you're, you almost describe your artistic work as like a laboratory or a place mm-hmm. where you are trying out becoming an artist and at the same time... Um, you, you write to your readers and, and, and talk to them and explain to them how you're learning alongside Mm -hmm. them and and helping them to become more creative themselves. And you've created courses and ebooks and things to help other people. Tap into their creativity, um, which you found sort of midlife, um, yes. you know. And so I wondered whether you could talk about that aspect of your of your career and business and how you've um, how you've developed that and 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 why that's been important to you to do alongside this. Because a lot of people who get into creating textile art, that's all they do. They don't also have sort of the meta <laughs> layer here mm-hmm. where they're doing that as well, yes the um I'll say the main reason is that when I
1: started showing my work, I would get a lot of people come up to me and say, "You are so talented, I could never do this," and I kept hearing people say that, and i I could see myself in them like ten years ago, <laughs> or twenty years ago, I could see myself saying the same things that. They were saying, and I was like, I was you. <laughs> I was just like you. I didn't think that I could do these things. So it got to a point where I I knew that I wanted to let people know that you can do these things. And some of us have even have um, ideas that we are able to do these things. But we we are not confident enough, or we haven't been encouraged, or the society because of the society in which we live in, and the way we look at creativity as a side thing, like a um, a hobby that you do, and it cannot be the main thing that you do. There's all this um, mindset thing that comes with being a creative, and there are lots of creative people walking around today who could do more with their creative skills if only somebody would sit them down and say, hey, listen to me, develop the skill that you have, and you'll be so happy that you did. It would bring you so much joy. And um, that is what I do with coaching. I, I feel like when I discovered my creative skills, it was almost like... Uh, <laughs> It was almost like I was scared. I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many people out there who have these skills and they have no idea. Just like I had no idea, they have no idea. And I feel like I have to go out there and tell people that you can do this. You can do this. If you really want to, you just need someone to help you through the process and you can do it. So that's what my coaching is about. And then I got to a point where I realized that You can get people to realize what their potential is, but people need to live, right? People need to be able to take care of the stuff that they need to take care of. And if they are going to spend so much time developing their creative skills and taking time away from other stuff in their life, they have to find a way to make this uh, pay for itself. So it's not, there's a financial um, decision that has to be made concerning and developing your skills beyond the hobby level. And you, you can't just tell people that develop your skills. You have to show them how that will work for them. And I get people coming to me all the time and say, if I could only pay for my supplies, if I could just find a way of paying for my supplies, all right? So it evolved from just showing people that, hey, you have potential, Um, develop your creative skills to you have potential, develop your creative skills. And if you really want this to be the main thing that you do, this is how to um, do it. Put in systems and other things that will support you to be able to make this a lifestyle. So that's what coaching, my coaching is all about. I know there's a lot of um, workshops on techniques and stuff. So I feel like my, um, my tribe, my group of people get that um, to be able to develop that part of their, their um, creative life. And I feel like this is the part where I can
0: help them um, make it a whole um, complete creative life. And you're very good at blogging oh, and, goodness. you know, there's a lot of people out there who have a blog or they start a blog and they don't keep their blog up. Um, you know they, they last updated it seven months ago and um, it's kind of stale or they just find blogging to be overwhelming. And um, you write, you know, you start your posts with your creative friends and you... Um, get a lot of comments, you know, people will argue now. Nobody comments on blogs anymore, but you've got, you know, 12 comments on this post and many, you know, you, you're consistently getting comments from your community. You respond to, to your comments. And so, um, your blog is alive and well. And I wondered whether you could talk a little bit about how you do that and, and tips you might have for, those out there who are aspiring to be better bloggers? I think that uh, blogging
1: is consistency. If you uh, are consistent, you would would get into a groove. And I think it's not only blogging, even creating. If you are consistent, you get into a groove and um, you feel like you are missing something if you don't do it. And I feel like if you want to blog and do it for a long time, you have to be authentic because if you try to be something in your blog, after a while, you can't do it anymore because it's not you. So use your natural voice. Say the things that are, uh, are important to you. Say the things that are going on on a daily basis in your life, but not about you. Because I see that um, a lot of people struggle with blogging because they want to talk about um, just the things that are important to them, but doesn't have an appeal to an audience. All right. If you start that way, you talk about just um, what you're eating, what um, your pets are doing, and it doesn't have an appeal beyond you, then um, nobody will be interested in it. But Think about what you're going through and how it applies to somebody else's life and how it can help somebody else. And that would be a good way to um, blog. And also be consistent. Put out like a timetable for yourself. If you can do it once every two weeks, then do once every two weeks. If you can do once a month, do once a month and be consistent with it. When I started blogging, I couldn't write 300 words. <laughs> I couldn't write 300 words per a post. And I had this um, app on my blog that said the minimum I should write was 300. And I struggled to write 300 words. And when I got to 300 words, I was like, yay! <laughs> and now I write more than 1,000 words and I'm trying to cut it down to make it shorter and easier for my readers to read. So it's just a process. If you just stick in there for as long as you can, it becomes part of you. And what I do is I write ideas out on my phone. I'm going about my day and something happens. I'm like, oh, I wanna tell my creative friends about this. And so I I write it out. So I have a list of blog topics on my notepad in my phone. So when I go sit down, sometimes I used to do just the titles. But then if I have a long list of titles and I go back and I start from the top of the title list, sometimes I can't get the words because then I have probably forgotten exactly what prompted that topic. So now what I do is I write a gist of what I'm thinking about. When that topic came to mind, so maybe I write a paragraph or so, just enough for for me to be able to um, go off of it when I sit down to write. And I I think that um, those are the things that have have helped me. Those are the things, that, and then you you listen like feedback. I always say feedback. You listen and watch the things that um, people are interested in. If people are not interested in those kind of topics, then I stop writing about those, and I do more of the the ones that get um, um, feed uh, communication on. You get um, responses on. And I also write a newsletter, and my newsletter is very private. <laughs> I I write like. I used to have a pen pal when I was growing up. I write my newsletters like I'm writing to my pen poll. I, it's very private. I tell my um, newsletter readers what I'm struggling with, what's going on in my house with my family. And then I introduce them to the blog post for the week. And then I ask them to go read that. So the blog is like public and the newsletter is my private uh, communication with my creative friends.
0: And do you find that the newsletter is driving traffic to the blog posts? It does. It does.
1: And um, my newsletter readers um, sometimes don't comment on the blogs, which is not great. They actually hit reply.
0: (laughs) But they have that relationship with you anyway. So it's okay. Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
1: They would rather reply and talk to me through email, but that's
0: okay. Yeah, either way, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And so, Claire, can you tell us, um, before we get to your recommendations, about some things that you have coming up for you?
1: Yes, I'm working on an art kit. I call it an art kit that is um, a printable bundle of creative joy. (laughs) Um, They are going to be printables. And in each um, pack, where you receive each pack, there would be a, a coloring page and there will be two projects, a, a paper collage and a fabric collage. And I have templates, I have guides in there. So you just download it, you don't have to wait for it to arrive, you just download it, print it off and you have the guides and you can create um, variations of some of the artworks that have created. So that isn't that works that will come out very soon. And then I'm working on a course, an online course that would um, teach people how to create processes and systems to grow your creative practice and also to get into a financial situation that can support that creative uh,
0: practice. Oh, wonderful. That sounds terrific. Both of those things sound terrific. Um, And and people should go to clarinrt.com and check those things out for sure. Okay, yeah. I want to make sure we get to your recommendations because you have some very good ones. Uh, and the first one, I have one of these and love it as well, which is a yeah. f- 50 millimeter camera lens. This changed everything for me when I got mine mm. um, to talk to I'm us so about yours.
1: That. I'm so happy to hear
0: you say that. Yeah, it's good. Tell us why you like it. Yes, exactly.
1: I I had always used a zoom lens and, um, I I thought that a zoom lens was a thing (laughs) until, um, but I like, um, taking pictures i love taking pictures i've always loved taking pictures i remember my earliest memory of a camera was around my dad's neck Uh, he used to be a a traveler he used to travel for work a lot and whenever he came back he had a a camera around his neck with all the pictures that he had taken on his travels so i've always loved um taking pictures but when i started um taking pictures i i was introduced to a zoom lens. so that's what i had used for years and then um, somehow, I think I read it somewhere, maybe on a blog or something, about the 50 millimeter um, lens, and I bought one. And it was a learning curve because I was used to zooming in to get details, and this was a fixed lens. But it, it's so good, the kind of photos that I took with the zoom lens, with the um, fixed lens the fifty millimeter does not compare to the ones that I used to take. I I can't go back to that kind of uh photography again. So that's why I love it.
0: Yeah, it's really it's very cool. Um and great for like getting the blurred backgrounds and the yes. close up and um yeah if you take pictures um of well, things that you want good detail. It's good. Yes. It's very. good. And I
1: do a lot of detail um, photos on my blog. When I I do my artwork, I do a lot of detail photos. When I'm doing tutorials, I do a lot of um, detail uh, detail photos. So that um, lens really works. Well it's really
0: good. Yes, exactly. And you got a ring light for doing video calls on your phone. I do not have a ring light and. I'm interested in them. So, and these are, you said this is good for video calls on your phone. So how are you using your ring light?
1: I, the ring light that I got has a tripod. It has a small um, tabletop tripod that comes with it. So, and then it has this, um, this thing on the top where you can put your phone in. So the, the phone piece is attached to the tripod. And so the um, phone is inside the ring of light. Okay. Right? So yeah. when when you use it, it's you don't need any. You don't need to worry about whether you're bes- beside a, a window or whether you have oh. good lighting. Or it's just it just lights up and it has. Um, I think mine has three levels of light, so you can up the intensity of the light if it's not bright enough for you. I, I just love it. I don't do a lot of. Um, phone video calls on the phone but whenever i have to do a call on the on the phone I would use my ring light.
0: And it could be good for recording like Instagram stories or yes. other things like that too. Yes, exactly. Okay. Maybe we'll get a link to the direct direct link to the one that you have because that sounds really cool. Um, yeah. And then a flexible tabletop tripod with the phone mount. This I do have and I love my little tripod um, with the phone mount on it and it's got the flexible legs. I th- yes. We probably have the same one. Yes.
1: Yes, I love that because I used to use the um, long, the regular tripod to um, take pictures or videos when I'm working on the table. And then I have to try and angle the tripod to get a good view of. But now with the um, tabletop flexible legs, I just put it on the table and it's so flexible that. It can turn into whatever angle you want and it's so easy and I just love it. Yeah, I I hang
0: mine too from like if I want to – sometimes I like it looking down on me so I'll hang it from like the bookshelf above me and then just like tilt it down and I like that angle. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, it it doesn't give me a double chin. It's great, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Clara, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you. It was great. I did too. Thank you for having me. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was sponsored by Search Press. Search Press is proud to sponsor this podcast and delighted to bring you wonderful craft books. As an independent, family-owned publisher, Search Press books are supplied through art and craft retailers in the United States and Canada. Search Press books are available through Summer Street Associates and are distributed by Penguin Random House. Thank you so much, Search Press.